Elliot, this time, I think the apocalypse might really be upon us. I saw something on TV that I have absolutely never seen before. Well, you're talking about the unprecedented number of earthquakes or the fact that we got hit by three hurricanes in a row? No, today on TV I saw Harrison Ford actually laugh in an interview. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Chief Conrad and Elliot Serrato. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say... Get a life. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Geek Counter Geek number 101. I'm Keith Conrad, at Keith R. Conrad on Twitter. Joined as always by uh, Elliot Serrano, Elliot, at Elliot Serrano on Twitter. Uh, Elliot, Star Trek Discoveries landed. Obviously, we spent a lot of time uh, uh, talking about it last week. But um, you know, as we're getting into the first couple of uh, couple of episodes, I've noticed a potential problem that could crop up that I hope the writers have considered. Uh, I'd like to know because I'm going to tell you. I mean, yes, we did talk about it uh, last week. I talked about how the first two episodes. We're all about setting up a premise that had nothing to do with, <laughs> with the first two episodes. So, uh, hit me. You know, the the ship just, it, it, it seems too cool. You know, like, like <laughs> you got to, so, somehow in 10 years, you've got to go back to, like, campy 1960s stuff. And, uh, you know, no. like, like, the, like the computer sounds all high tech. You know, like, you know, you can actually piece together someone saying anything if all you have is 80 syllables to work with. And I, I forget exact. I, it's not even 80 syllables like there like there's a, there's literally a list of 80 words that if you say those words, you know, they can they can piece together you saying anything like that's how they made Roger Ebert's voice. So you're telling me that there's not enough audio out there of Majel Barrett to piece together the computer voice because because <laughs> the 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 voice they found i haven't looked at the credits so i don't know who it is but it, it just sounds too high tech and and cool it sounds like uh sounds like alexa or something yeah it's true because um you you have it in discovery again discovery is supposed to be 10 years before enterprise and then you skip ahead uh, you don't see you don't have people talking to the computer until next generation so, you know, what was it? I mean, and, and the Enterprise was supposed to be the flagship of the of the of the, you know, Federation. So it should have had the best crew and the best technology. But maybe it was, you know what I'm thinking? Maybe it was because Kirk was like, screw this. I'm tired of listening to this voice. He just said, turn it off, mute it. I don't want to listen to it, you know? Could be. I, I will say that there was a moment where um, uh, the engineer... Uh, Stamet, I believe is his name is. He's actually named after uh, after a real person. Uh, he, he hands um, a Burnham uh, like a like a, a card, you know, for a computer, and it looks like you know one of the things that they would have had for the the computer in the original series. Except even that is like a little bit more high tech looking. So 
Uh, at least they're they're sort of looking for that. And there there is like a I I don't know if it was actually an intentional Easter egg or if it's something that only I noticed. But uh, in episode three, have you seen uh, that yet, or have, have you? Yes, uh, no, I've, I've, I'm all caught up. Um, the other ship that they go to see, um, you know, which has actually had an accident and the and the the crew has all been killed. Uh, the other ship that they go to investigate looks exactly like the Discovery. Yeah, and in well, the original I mean, series, because you know. Literally, because the budget was so tight that they couldn't build any more models, every ship looked just like the Enterprise. And I wonder if that was like an intentional thing or if that was something that only I noticed. Well, it seems to me it's like, well, what we're getting from this is that the, both the Discovery and the other ship, I forgot the name of the other ship. It was the USS Glenn. The Glenn, correct. Um, they were experimental ships, right? Uh, very much like in um, Star Trek V, uh, Final Frontier, where you had the NX. I'm trying to remember the name of the ship that had the transwarp drive. Oh, that was that, in uh, Star Trek Three. actually. It was the Excelsior. The Excelsior. It had the yeah. transwarp drive, and um, you know, which ended up not working because why? Scotty pulled a couple uh, nuts out of the thing or a couple bolts or whatever, which yeah. made me, which made me go, hold on a second. That's, that's not how warp drives work. <laughs> which, which by the way, I heard a, I heard a theory, which is slightly better than the Nerdist theory uh, last week about the, uh, about inglorious bastards being a sequel to a city on the edge of forever. Uh, I, I saw this actually on Reddit, maybe a year or so ago that, um, you know, like in uh, in memory alpha, and you know, a lot of uh, a lot of material that's that's come out since. You know, you're you're told that uh, transwarp drive you know failed, and then they eventually uh, turned the Excelsior into a traditional warp drive ship, and it had a long career. But uh, this person actually said that uh, um, transwarp drive actually was eventually successful. And that it's what you see on the Enterprise in the next generation, because in the original series, like they actually had to ramp up to any particular speed that they were going to. And that was like a big dramatic thing. And uh, so transwarp drive in this in this little theory, it's just jumping from, you know, like standing still to, say, warp nine rather than rump, ramping up to it. Because the Enterprise in the next generation, it doesn't ramp up to it the way it did in the original series. It just it just goes to, to warp nine. And so that was the theory that that was actually what transwarp drive was. And so ultimately it was successful and it was, you know, it was what we were seeing in later treks. I, I always equated the, um, the enterprises warp drive to the, uh, speakers that spinal tap uses now on tour. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we talk so much and everyone always says they, they go up to 11, right? But you ask Christopher Christopher Guest about it. He goes, no, they, they go well past 20 now. So <laughs> you're still stuck in, in, in 11, whereas, no, they, even they're saying, no, 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 no. These speakers go way, way beyond that. And, and it does make sense, though, that you would have in the amount of time between, um, you know, again, the classic Trek and Next Generation – uh, that you're going to have advances in technology, and the tra and the warp drives will 
will advance. Although, again, when it comes to warp drive and speed being relative, when you get past the speed of light, um, as you know, theoretical physicists will tell you, once you get past the speed of light, you can't go faster than that. Right, you know? and uh, and actually, there there was a YouTube video. I actually have it posted on my website, uh, gabatron.com, where they they talk about they they actually do a speed comparison of all the uh, like the the classes of of Enterprise, you know, from the various iterations of Star Trek, and um, like they they like even Enterprise, you know, the 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 ship from the show Enterprise, which is supposed to be one of the earliest, uh, you know, warp drive ships. Even that is like 20 times the, the, the speed of light. And right. once, and once you get to, you know, the Enterprise, you know, E, it's like 150 times the speed of light. And as far as we know, you can't actually go the speed of light. Right. So now we're talking again, talking about theoretically, um, we're no longer getting into the realm of actual speed, but uh, transversing dimensions, where it's kind of like I am going, I'm going through, I'm traversing space, you know, I'm distance, but I'm not really cr traveling that distance. I'm just skipping over into another dimension. And then when I skip back, I've, crossed all that space in the previous dimension I was right. in. So which you know, is, that's when you, which is kind of like, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of what you would think they were doing in Battlestar Galactica, except they intentionally never explained how that worked. Yeah. Well, I'll give Battlestar. Well, you talk about classic Battlestar Galactica where they knew they could only go so fast because, you know, you're only as fast as the slowest ship in your fleet. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, same with the newer Battlestar Galactica, although they never really, you know, like, well, they made warp jumps, you know. Right, and, and yeah, that, that's what I, I, I was referring to, the new Battlestar Galactica, yeah. where they, they actually intentionally never explained how it worked, and um, Ronald uh, uh, Moore was actually asked about that, and he said, well, you know, they don't spend a lot of time on, on aircraft carriers debating how the reactor works. It's just, it's just there. <laughs> It's you know. just there, uh, right. so you know you you wouldn't you wouldn't expect that to be a topic of conversation uh, on on the ship, and and so they were trying to be realistic in that way, and also, you know, wh why bother with that? It's not really an important part of the story. I will say this: someone made this point on um, Twitter. I wish I could remember who it was so I could give them credit. But, you know, there was all this talk about diversity and and so on for the new Star Trek. And yet they took the Asian captain and killed her off in the, first, the second episode to replace her with what? Yet another white guy. So, <laughs> you know. and, and I would say he's British, except uh, he he I, I don't think the character's British. He, he didn't have much of a uh, much of a, uh, a British accent going on. Draco and Bal uh, you know, uh, but Lucius Malfoy is not uh, not in charge of this uh, the Starfleet ship. It's another guy. L Lorca is an interesting dude. character because, like, I really want to like him. Like, he he seems like he he would be a really good captain, but I get the sense he's up to something. Oh, he's definitely up to something, and there there are a lot of folks who are really a little bit um, chuffed by the take that they're doing because. Yeah, you know, as, as they're saying, it's it's this, it's Starfleet at war. This is mm -hmm. Starfleet before 
piece. And then the one thing I did like about the third episode was them kind of explaining the whole, you know, it, this is like the birthing pains of Starfleet and, and true and the true utopia that humankind is supposed to be encountering. Although how you're going to get it in 10 years is still beyond me. Yeah. Um, well, the, well the, one person, uh, I, I forget which uh, which review I, I saw, but uh, I think maybe it was IO9 did a, a review of the third episode, and they talked about how, uh, like, this episode, more than any in Star Trek, um, you know, actually spent time on the conflicts between, you know, like, scientists actually being at war. And, you know, this is the one time in, in Star Trek where you can actually actually do that and there's a lot of frustration on the part of uh, uh stamets part um you know that, that he's in the middle of a war zone you know he just he just wants to be a scientist in a lab somewhere and instead he's on uh, he's on a ship in a war zone yeah and that's something that always i always was fascinated or, or fascinated on one hand perplexed by another that kirk himself to be the captain of a ship that it was supposed to be on a a um, scientific voyage, you know, get uh, meet, uh, you know seek out new worlds, be you know seek out new life and civilizations, and yet he had combat experience. He he was he did not um, he did not shy away from a fight. Oh so yeah, he, going, was, he was punching yeah. somebody in every episode. <laughs> yeah, so it's like uh, okay. So to me, I'm there going, I would have, to me, it would have made more sense to, I, to learn more about that, you know, how it made, how we made Kirk. Because even with the, the, um, J.J. Abrams reboots, it seems like Kirk, you know, Captain Kirk, the character did not have any combat experience. He didn't go to war. No, he you know, just fought like, in a bar occasionally. Yeah. So how is it that Kirk. It, it, I, I, you know, there's a, the, a there's a difference between Kirk from the movies, from the J.J. Um, Abrams reboots, and Kirk from the series, and of course the William Shatner movies. That fascinates me. I, I don't know, and of course it, you can read countless books, and um, that have been done for Star Trek and classic that have filled in those gaps. Yet, um, you know, the movies for the most part kind of ignore that. So, eh. We'll see. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still holding. I'm enjoying Discovery so far. It's not Star Trek as I would expect it, but yet again, I mean, let's be honest. You could only do, you could only do traditional Star Trek so many times before it gets stale. And right. I think this is a, you know, it's an honest. It's a, I think it's a sincere way of trying to do it in a new, explore, you know, that that world in a different era in a different way, um, and you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's it's going to be hard to measure what actually is successful, um, but uh, there was a big spike in uh, subscriptions at the beginning, and uh, you would expect that once they actually post all the episodes, or at least maybe just the first half of the episodes, uh, and people can binge watch, that you're going to have a lot of people uh, sign up at least, you know, for a month and, and binge watch it, and, you know, you'll... Maybe see a spike in the middle and a spike at the end again. Well, here's the thing. They've already announced that they're going to be taking a break after the first nine episodes. And then the show will go on hiatus before they, they, they show the, the, the remaining episodes. Yeah. But it, it's just a hiatus for, you know, the, uh, 
ba- basically for the holidays. It's not like a Game of Thrones where they'll be off for you know a year and a half or something. A year and a- <laughs> it's like they're they hey, the Sopranos did it. We can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't still don't remember this, but there was a time when Sopranos would be gone for like a year, two years. I mean, it's like you know, and you wouldn't hear anything about it. It wasn't like you, you. It wasn't like HBO was constantly pushing Sopranos, Sopranos, Sopranos. They'd be like, okay, it's gone, and we're not even going to talk about it. And it was something unique about that show where they're saying, oh, it's coming back. And the buzz would just start all over again. We just start all over. And, and that, that was, I think, something that's wholly unique to that. Uh, I don't know if you're going to see that so much with, with this property with Star Trek. But I will say, there, with as many folks who want to be subscribing, I have yet to meet someone or yet to talk to someone, whether in person or on social media, who once they, I told them you can only get it on the, on the uh, app, they went, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. Uh, they, they went, no, don't, that's fine. It doesn't help, too, that I've already gotten the uh, press release that they're going to be releasing it on Blu-ray um, soon. And you're like, oh, that, how many people are going to say, okay, I'll just wait for it to come out on video? Yeah. Um, and, and if they're, uh, if they're doing that, um, you know, I wonder if they'll end up selling it on Amazon, you know, digitally, uh, so you can get it that way too, or if they're going to, they're going to keep, uh, all streaming in house. Yeah. So I don't know. They, it's CBS. I know they're trying to bump up that, uh, that app, but I think they're being, uh, they're, they're kind I'm beginning to think they're doing the property a disservice. Well, I, the, the one big problem I have with uh, what they're doing is they're dropping it at 7.35 Central Time on Sunday like you're supposed to watch it live, you know, whereas <laughs> I, I can see, okay, it's going to drop every Sunday, but you do it at like noon or something so that somebody can watch it whenever they want on Sunday. Like, I, I don't get actually releasing a, a piece of digital content in prime time. You know, right. that, that's not how people watch digital content. Especially when you have all this other stuff going on on Sundays. You have football. You have all that. And I'm telling you, if I want to watch the show, I'm going to want to stream the app through my smart television. Although, hey, check it out. There are certain TVs that you cannot stream the CBS app through. So if you have one right. of those nice big Samsung um, smart TVs, you can't do it. Yeah, you so do that. You 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 could always uh, hook up a Roku to it, but obviously, whatever you do, you you would need something separate to watch it. Right? Why would I get a Roku if I've got a smart TV that's also supposed to already have the apps installed in it? So yeah, they, they're they're not being that bright right now. I mean, now we're skipping back to the whole CBS isn't quite doing. They, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like this show has already got so much going against it. These poor, these creators have to deal with the PR. They have to deal with the distribution of the show. The show's got to shine and be wonderful so people will even seek it out and watch it. Oh, it's ridiculous. It is a little ridiculous. Yeah. Um, speaking of ridiculous, uh, Variety is reporting that Disney is working on a remake of Flight of the Navigator. Um, I, I think that's a, a, a reboot nobody asked for. Well, here's the thing that gets me. I mean, I, I've seen Flight of the Navigator, okay? And, and it's just, this is weird, okay? I have this strange thing 
where I tend to conflate in my brain, I tend to conflate two different things that really don't have anything to do with each other, except maybe like a saw, maybe there's one little string of commonality that can make you think, wow, why do you do that? So like, this is this weird thing. I always confuse Morrissey with Chris Isaac. Okay. Oh, oh, I because can see that. Yeah, you, you know, see Mor- that, right? Morrissey's like a, a, a slightly older, more distinguished Chris Isaac. Right, right, right. See, so, but visually, and then when you listen to them, they're kind of similar. But then here's the other thing. I also conflate Morrissey with, wait for it, wait for it, Van Morrison. Now, Van that, Morrison That's a little bit more of a stretch. Yeah, that's a stretch, right? So it's just the name, but that's the way my brain works. My synapse fire a certain way, and that 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 sort of thing happens to me. So you might go, oh, okay, I can kind of, you know, yes, it's a stretch, but I can kind of see it. See, now here's my thing with flight in the navigator. For some reason, I always conflate flight in the navigator with, wait for it, wait for it, the last starfighter. Okay. Oh, I mean that's <laughs> not. They're they're different movies, but they involve aliens and and um you you know the last Starfighter that that's sort of like the teenage version of uh of flight, of, flight the of the Navigator. But to me, it's like I always conflict because it's not only it's it's aliens, but it's also really bad cheesy special effects from the eighties. Right. So see, so there's like there are some folks who they talk. I always see this online all the time. People talk about what a one, what a great movie The Last Starfighter is. People love The oh, Last Starfighter. I, I love The Last Starfighter. <laughs> you love it, right? Yeah. So you see, this is where you would be, uh, again, this is like you would be with Ghostbusters 2. I, I, I remember, I've seen The Last Fi- Starfighter twice, both times on video. I don't get it. I actually have The Last Starfighter on Blu-ray if you want to borrow it. <laughs> yeah. I want to see those really bad matte outlines on the ships, (laughs) even more in Blu-ray. So to me, because to me, The Last Starfighter is so contrived. It's just so, I mean, seriously, seriously, Keith, do you really think that by flying a video game, you can learn how to fly something as complex as a Starfighter? Uh, You know, it is a little like a... um ghostbusters 2 is that when i saw it i was really too dumb to know the difference too, too young and dumb <laughs> to know the difference and you know i just liked it and continued to go with it that i, right. <laughs> that I like it so yes the story is kind of contrived and dumb but yeah i'm willing to overlook that overlook it right so and then and when you think about it the last starfighter was redone with by what film since we've been talking about star trek and all these things galaxy quest uh, that's that's true, actually. Yeah, Galaxy Quest is essentially the last Starfighter, you know. So you know, I, you, when you talk about, ah, oh, how could you remake Flight of the Navigator? I'm like, well, go go and remake it because I'm sorry, you watch Flight of the Navigator. It's not that great a movie. It's like, you, you know, what, it, you know it, what's it, funny is, uh, um, like, I really associate. Flight of the Navigator with a lot of other experiences in my life because I, I was very young when it came out. It came out in '86, mm-hmm. I, I believe. I saw that in in the story about this. So uh, that was uh, the year that uh, uh, I went to Disney World for the first time with my family. And so, like as that was coming out, I mean that was plastered all over the freaking place at Disney World. 
And so, like, I really remember, like, that time of my life more than I do the actual movie because I literally saw it when it came out in theaters once and then saw it years later and thought, well, this movie is like 20 minutes long and it's really dumb. <laughs> See? So it's like that whole, it's this bit. It's like, you know, all the movies you saw in your childhood, when you see them again, they're really not as good as you remember them. So uh, when you have Disney saying, okay, let's redo Flight of the Navigator, I'm like, all right, do it. Can we at least have decent special effects this time? You know? <laughs> How about can we uh, redo the uh, the last Starfighter with decent special effects? And, and, a, and more, a more unique plot, yes. But, but it's also, uh, no matter what they do with the special effects and the plot and everything, uh, they've got to have the uh, the alien lizard guy, the, like same costume and everything. Just, just <laughs> that, that's not going to change, right? So you have uh, yeah, the last Starfighter, and then and then can and then never ending story. All right, I mean, don't get me wrong, the never ending story, uh, it, great movie. Although there are two problems with it. One, once you get the Falcor, you lose me because Falcor looks like a giant Muppet. Uh, You're not like wrong. It, I, I'm not sure what he's supposed to be because he looks like a dog to me, but uh, apparently yeah. he's a he's a dragon. I I don't right. get that. It's like a Chinese luck dragon with poodle hair. Fine. Right? Yes, that's it's yeah. like that. That's actually like like the prop designer. Like that's what they were told. Yeah. So, which is great, but then but then you're lying to me when you call it the never ending story and the story ends. You know. Right. It, it, yeah. You know, to me, I will never understand the never ending story. Two, you know, how do you make a sequel to a story that never ends? Because they lied so. to us twice. Because <laughs> they were telling us the sequel didn't end either. So, to me, you know, if you want to go back and remake these properties, because one, there's the you have the built-in nostalgia factor, and you have like folks who saw the movies when they were kids, and like, oh yeah, I remember seeing this movie as a kid. Nah, I want to see it with my kids, and okay, it's kind of cheesy, they're going to remake it, it's going to be kind of cool. Let's face it, folks our age need to understand something. The stuff that we think is great, today's kids think is dumb. They think it's stupid, all right? Which is why, if I'm going to, I have countless people ask me, Elliot, I want to get my kids into Star Wars, all right? What can I do? Which movie? What should I do to get them into Star Wars? And the first thing I tell them is, and mind you, this was before The Force Awakens came out. I said, don't start with A New Hope. All right? If your kid's young, start with Empire Strikes Back. That's the movie that most kids are going to enjoy. It has, it has the most action. The plot moves along. It's the most fun. Now, if they really like Empire Strikes Back, then show them A New Hope so they get the background, and then skip ahead to Return of the Jedi. But don't start with A New Hope. Why? Because people forget. The middle of A New Hope is all exposition. It's long. It's dragged out. It's boring. I'm sorry. If you're a young kid, you're bored by it because nothing happens. Which, by the way... Interestingly, completely accidentally, that is how I watched Star Wars. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like, with Empire, it just so were... happened that yeah. that's how it, how it worked out. I, I, I wanted to, I, I was, for a while, they're trying to convince uh, my brother and his family to engage in a massive social experiment where uh, one daughter, they would show Star, the Star Wars movies in that order, and one, uh, you'd show them in chronological order, 
and see if both of them ended up liking it. No. But no, I, gonna, yeah. I, I think that was going to be too much work, and uh, they were worried about, <laughs> about scarring them for life, so they, they decided not to. As far I, I know, I've had arguments with folks about this. I am so against watching them in, in chronological order. If you've never seen them before, you gotta see them. You know, you get. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Empire, New Hope, uh, Return of the Jedi, and then go back one, two, three. But one, yeah. you know, Elliot. Uh, one thing that is just as good as you remember it from when you were younger. Tweet audio. Of course. But, I mean, Tweaked Audio is the place to be when you want to get the coolest uh, headphones and accessories to listen to us argue over things. <laughs> like, what order should you be watching the Star Wars films on? By, by the way, I, I see that being a whole episode one day. Just what order oh, yeah. should you watch Star Wars in? <laughs> you know, they offer headphones and accessories with key features like uh, uh, eight different uh, colors and styles. You've got your mic'd and non-mic'd versions. I mean, why would you have a mic'd version? Well, because you want to be able to answer a phone call or do co-op gaming. Uh, non-mic'd versions, why? Because you don't need to talk to anybody. You just want to zone out and listen to your music when you're walking from the train station to the office or just going, you know, going about running your errands. They're designed to sound great for music and talk. They have noise-reducing design and a lifetime warranty. Uh, Tweaked Audio stands by their products. So if you go to tweakedaudio.com and enter the code GCG for Geek Counter Geek, you will get 30% off your total purchase as well as, I'm sorry, 33% off. I'm not going to take that, that extra 3% away from you. 33% off and free worldwide shipping. That means if you are listening to Geek Counter Geek in Australia, they will ship it to you for free. You're listening to Geek Counter Geek in China. 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 They'll, they'll ship it to you for free. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are. Enter that code GCG, 33% off and free worldwide shipping. And the folks at Tweet Gaudio will set you up. They've got all different styles. Check out the website, all different colors, and they also have wireless Bluetooth versions. So I like the uh, over-the-ear, I keep saying this, the over-the-ear uh, DJ can style. Um, those are very, those are the style right now. That's what the kids are wearing, in case you were wondering. Uh, and, of course, when you get these amazing uh, new headphones from Tweaked Audio, you'll uh, want to find something to listen to. And uh, might I recommend one of the uh, the many uh, fine quality podcasts on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, including Dan McNeil, Unsupervised, uh, where uh, you know he's venturing a little bit out of sports uh, in his uh, second episode this week. Uh, he talked to Lynn Bramer about uh, Tom Petty, who unfortunately passed away this week. Uh, actually, sort of passed away twice this week, but uh, that's a that's a totally different story about uh, about the news media. Uh, and also preparing you for the playoffs uh, Friday night. The uh, you know the the American League has already started Friday night. The uh, the Cubs and Nationals uh, begin their uh, division series. I'm not sure how the Cubs are going to do this year. It's actually it, it's a total toss up to me. Like they they could either do really well or be eliminated in three games. Like I I think it's actually going to be one or the other. They'll either get swept and eliminated completely in three games, or they'll win the World Series again. One or the other. <laughs> 
All, I, all I'm going to say is to my fellow Cub fans, this has already been a successful year. Quit your grousing. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they won the division after winning the World Series. That's pretty much impossible these days. So, Jeez. you know, any, anything they do from, from now on is gravy. Uh, plus, the game show show is back. Uh, so you definitely want to, uh, to check that one out. Uh, Caffeinated Comics decided to ride our coattails a bit. They're talking about Star Trek Discovery. Uh, I guess you can't really blame them, though. It was kind of a big story this week. Yeah, and they've, they've been doing things like talking about the regeneration of Doctor Who as a woman. Um, ah, really, yeah. Cover, yeah, really covering the comics and pop culture beat, um, really more specifically focusing on comics. We don't always talk about comics here. We do not. There's definitely a fertile ground there. Uh, and, of course, naturally, the Dishing Bitches. The Dishing Bitches, who uh, we are still, yes, I know we keep talking about this, we keep talking about it, but yet there will be a crossover episode. Of course, the moment you announce it, that's when suddenly schedules become an issue. Uh, uh, so. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but, uh, but they're for it, we're for it, it's going to happen, we just need to figure out when. It, it's very tense negotiations behind the scenes. I know. I'm. I'm. Uh, there are dressing rooms that need to be sorted out. Br- brown M and M's. It's. It's. It's really getting Take to be out. something. I want all the green M and M's. You know. I mean. I don't mind that. Um, and then yes. You know. Who, what booze is going to be stocked in, in which area? So you know. We'll figure it out though. Uh, you know. We we alluded to it in the beginning because we we uh, you know mentioned Harrison Ford. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 is, uh, is coming out, uh, this weekend. Actually, by the time you hear this, it's, it's probably already out in theaters. So if you're a fan of the original movie or just looking for something to do this weekend, it, it would probably be a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good way to, to kill some, you know, kill some time, kill a couple hours. About uh, three hours almost. That's, it's going to be oh, a long really? movie. Yeah, well, it's yeah. uh, the uh, director is actually uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, uh, but he he actually did the arrival. Uh, Dennis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. That's I can't him. Pronounce it. Uh, I wanted to. Yeah, right. Uh, I I really liked the arrival, and uh, I um, you know as soon as he was announced as the director, which was actually about the time that uh, arrival was hitting it big. Um, you know, seems like a, a really interesting choice, and. Uh, you know, based on the trailers, they, they certainly have the look down. Mm-hmm. Well, you have uh, Ridley Scott on as a, produ- as, a, as a producer, as a consultant. I mean, a lot of folks will point to the first Blade Runner. And, um, and well, there was a criticism of Ridley Scott in the first Blade Runner because he was so involved in the production design of the film that, it, you know, the thing that they were saying is that Ridley Scott is really more of a production designer pretending to be a director, which I can kind of get because really the acting in Ridley Scott movies isn't that great. So that's why you have to have really good actors in his movies to get good performances. Right, um, right, because, you know, like The the Martian, you know, I, I you know, love that movie. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, but, you know, that was really Matt Damon being Matt Damon on Mars. Right. So it, it wasn't like uh, that was... That was obviously, you know, Ridley Scott doing a brilliant job as a director. That was just, um, you know, Matt Damon pulling off a uh, a very tough uh, castaway like performance. Right. And then so um, I seeing 
Ridley Scott transitioned to uh, Blade Runner 2049 and kind of like overseeing everything really gave him an opportunity more to, yeah, play the production designer guy and make sure that the look uh, transitioned. And you're right. It looks incredible. From what I've heard, they the, the money that was spent on this film, you know, there uh, when you listen to Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford and them talk about the experience being on the set, you know, it wasn't like it was a ton of acting in front of green screens. You know, they really created these sets that you walked onto and you saw, and you know, you were you're in that atmosphere. Um, which uh, makes me go, wow, uh, that is going to make one hell of a studio tour later on. You know, <laughs> yeah, it really will. You, you know, actually, it, it's interesting because, you know, the, the way you're describing Ridley Scott, I think a lot of people would, would sort of um, describe Philip K. Dick as an author, author the same way. <laughs> that that he's, he's really good at, like, creating, like, you know, at, at world building, like, like introducing you to a premise and, and that you know, like like most of his best stuff has been been short stories, where literally he's just sort of like laying the premise out there, and then especially when it's adapted into a movie, somebody else takes it, runs it, runs with it, and turns it into a into a full fledged story. Something completely different, though, in, in many cases. I mean, Total Recall. Uh, Paul Verhoeven took Total Recall and and turned it into an action film. They did the same thing with Minority Report. Spielberg took Minority Report and turned it into an action film. Yeah. Um, they, they took uh, I, the adjustment team and turned it into a romance. Yeah. Um, uh, as a kid, they have yet to make this one into a movie. I doubt they ever will, but uh, the one, the first Philip K. Dick book I ever read was Valis, and that was uh, Philip K. Dick's uh, treatise on religion and faith, and that's, you know, really heavy, heavy stuff. So, you know, the, the thing about Philip K. Dick books is, you know, we if you've seen any of the movies that were based on his books, you might think, oh, I'm going to pick up this book and it's going to be like this ripping yarn and it's going to be a page turner. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, he, you he kind of challenges you right from the beginning. I mean, you really have to kind of get onto a different level when yeah. it comes to understanding where he's going. I mean, you know, for folks who aren't familiar, I mean, Philip K. Dick, uh, the dude had his issues, okay? And he was working through a lot of those issues in his writing, and especially when you get later on in his career when he was dealing a lot with a um, drug, you know, uh, um, opioid dependency, drug abuse. He was struggling with his faith, you know, and religion. You really see that in his books. You have Vallis, you have the Divine Invasion, which actually, uh, the Divine Invasion is my favorite uh, Philip K. Dick book, but it's entirely about the, the uh, reincarnation of Jesus, you know, which is like, whoa. And then the <laughs> transubstantiation of oh god I'm tr I'm dry, I I normally this is it's it's his religious trilogy but if you read those it's incredible you know uh, the, the other stuff that he's done you know you've had um the the the, the one that um Richard Linklater turned in a uh, Scanner Darkly uh, right. Scanner Darkly was a bit about again drug abuse you know a narcotics agent you know going into the world of 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 druggies and such that's really deep heavy stuff that doesn't always translate to movies so then you sit there and you go okay which one is better is the movie better 
or is the book better? Because a lot of times people will argue with you that they, you know, movies are always lesser than the book. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna throw it's some... never, it's never, you know, whatever they come up with uh, on film isn't quite as good as you had it in your head. Correct. So I'm gonna throw out this totally blasphemous idea now, and there are gonna be people are gonna be mad at me, and I'm telling you, I, I, I know that I'm gonna get people mad at me here, but I'm gonna, I. I think Blade Runner the movie is better than Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I, it's tough for me to um, to really come down on either side of that because um, that was one of those uh, where I read the book quite a while after I'd seen the movie, and so I think like I, I'm like. I viewed the uh, the book through that lens, so I, you know, I I wouldn't say that they were better, but I but I think that uh, that that the book was better, but I think that my enjoyment of the movie really kind of colored my my view of the book. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, think about it. In the first few chapters of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, Rick. Deckard is having an argument with a a neighbor over him owning an artificial owl. And it gets like into this whole thing about life and socialism and what and religion and blah blah blah. And I'm like, I remember going, Oh my god, can we just move on to that? You know, Rick <laughs> Deckard comes across as like this whiny dude. It's like uh, you've got that, and and I don't have that, and and belief says that we should all have the same thing, and I'm like, oh my god, dude, I want to shoot you now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's it, uh, you know, he definitely doesn't come across that way at the beginning of uh, the movie. Um, yeah, you know, he he comes across a little dry at the beginning of the movie. I'll, I'll definitely say that. Well, it's like you know, they're, they're, it was essentially uh, R- Ridley Scott doing um, Sam Spade. You know, like it was noir, it was you know future noir, as he said. Right. And yeah. you had the Humphrey Bogart of your time in that role. So you you know, of course, Harrison Ford comes across as cool badass, you know, amoral cool badass, and and so on. That's not the way Rick Deckard comes across at all in the book. So you're right. If you saw the movie first, then you try to read the book. Those are two completely different things, you know. Right, because when he's being all whiny, I'm picturing cool Harrison Ford in that conversation. And my, you know, how how I walk away from that conversation is completely different. Right. So you're like, no, that doesn't work. You know, but and and to me though, when you think about uh, the differences between, like, let's say, a book and a movie, you know, I, I'm gonna even throw out another crazy thing. That's it's not the first time that a movie's been better than a book, and I actually have a few examples. Oh, do tell. So this is another one. This is another movie. I saw the movie first, and then I read the book, and I remember going, "Wow." Uh, holy cow, the movie is actually better than the book. And when you consider that the screenplay was written by the author of the book, okay, uh, Dances with Wolves. You know, I've never actually read the book, Dances with Wolves. Michael Blake was the author of Dances with Wolves. I have, however, seen Avatar, so... 
I feel like I, I have like that much more understanding of yeah. Dances with the Wolf. Dances with Wolves. It, yeah. It's funny that you read the book Dances with Wolves, you rip right through it. it you go through it pretty quickly. And, and I was like, going, holy cow, Kevin Costner actually fleshed out. They fleshed out certain things in the movie that they don't even mention in the book. So you're like, oh, whoa. That that the uh, I remember going. I can't believe I'm saying this. The movie was actually better than the book, and that's it's unheard of. And and then okay, and then here's a, here's another one. And I am so gonna get people that, angry. That, by by the way, before you uh, get into that, um, do you uh, think Kevin Costner only had one good uh, one good movie in him as a director? I hate to say it, but yeah, is, is that is that what <laughs> happened? Are, are we going with that? Because uh, the Postman was that going anywhere. <laughs> no, and, and neither did uh, Waterworld. So, okay, well, carry, well, carry on. Wyatt Earp, too. Remember, he did Wyatt Earp. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, Potterheads. I get Potterheads angry at me, but um, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, you know, now, I actually I actually haven't read any of the uh, Potter, Potter books. All of my experience has been in the movies. But... Um, uh, that is actually my my favorite of the Potter movies. See, and, and and Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix is my least favorite of all the books, because Harry Potter again, like Rick Deckard in uh, Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep, he's emo and whiny, and no one listens to me. <laughs> I hate you. Rah, 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 rah. And they completely like did away with that in the movie. They're going. I was really afraid to go see Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix because I did not like the book at very much. And then I was like, oh, great. All the stuff that I hated about the book, they got rid of it. And they made it fun in the movie. So <laughs> you gave me the story. Well, you gave me the plot. You got rid of emo Harry. I'm pleased. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, one uh, one book that I uh, I just hated, even even though I I love the movie and, and continue to love the movie despite the fact that I hated the book was uh, Jaws, because there's just so much different in the book. Like it's about it, it's sort of like a I, I, you know you wouldn't say it's a steamy romance thing, but there's a lot of like love triangle stuff going on, and uh, you know it, it, come on it, for me it's got to be about got to be about the shark. Got to be about the shark. I and get that. That, yeah. that. That's not the necessarily the case in Jaws, the book. As a matter of fact, I you know I I look at the two and say, where in the world did Steven Spielberg come up with all this from the from reading that book? Oh yeah, I mean he did the kind of did the same thing to uh, Jurassic Park, where he just really kept the bare bones, right? The premise, and then he made a movie, and and of course he changes the ending in Jaws, you know, because it, the whole bit with the 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 the, the oxygen tank blowing up was a steven spielberg creation hey, hey spoiler alert yeah which a lot of folks well even told him if you shoot an oxygen tank that's not going to happen and he even said yeah i know that but this is more visually exciting whereas jaw you know the, the great white being killed like with a spear i, I, like I think he, he said his exact words mm. to uh, peter benchley when he complained about it were uh you know if they've been with me for you know, the whole movie up to now, they'll go with me with the exploding oxygen tank. Which is exactly what happened, yes. Yeah. You know, and, I, I think yeah. that, uh, um, you know, Michael Crichton, you know, because you mentioned Jurassic Park, I think he's, he's uh, like, it seems like the, the more he's involved with a, a story and everything, uh, 
turning it into a, a movie or a TV show, uh, the less uh, good it ends up being. <laughs> you know, it's true. Because he, he's sort of like Philip K. Dick in that way that, you know, he's really good at sort of like establishing, you know, creating a world and, and uh, you know, that's really thought-provoking and interesting. But when he gets into like the actual nitty-gritty of, of telling the story, it, it, it's not that great. Yeah. Well, I, I look at, um, I forgot another book that um, I felt the movie was better, um, Hannibal. Um, oh, the, I, I've, the, I've the heard Thomas that a lot, Harris yeah. Book. And I love Thomas Harris. I love his books, but that ending was bullshit. <laughs> so many people were angered by the ending. I don't want to spoil it, but let's just say the, the ending to Hannibal is dramatically different than the ending of the film adaptation, which, by the way, I remember reading Hannibal and going, this feels like a Ridley Scott movie. You know, this, this reads like I can picture these scenes in a Ridley Scott film, and wouldn't you know it, Ridley Scott would direct the adaptation of Hannibal, and knowing how controversial the ending to the book was, they came up with a new ending that folks were uh, more pleased with. And so, you know, they're going, ah, oh, wow, the, the the movie captured everything that I liked about the book, and it even gave me a better ending. Um, you know, you know, another movie that uh, that I always felt that way was uh, Starship Troopers because um, I had actually, you know, I saw the movie when it came out, and uh, I, you know, I I didn't, you know, I I didn't really think too much of it. I. I I kind of liked the movie, but I didn't really put that much thought into it. And then, um, you know, several years later, I met uh, Mike Durant, who's a former army pilot who was shot down in Somalia. And I was reading his his biography, his autobiography, and he was talking about how uh, Starship Troopers is actually required reading when you're going through uh, ranger school in the army. And actually, I, I think a couple of other services require it as well. And... Um, and so, like, that got me interested in, in it again. And uh, I actually read the book, and I'm like, wow, the movie was way better. <laughs> well, it's another case. Well, if you, re- actually, if you read Starship Troopers, um, again, it's there's a lot more that goes on in the movie than in the book. I mean, when you read the book itself, it, that's kind of like Heinlein's um, commentary on the military. When you read Heinlein writing about the military, you would think this dude was an utter right-wing, pro-military, pro, you know, all that. It, which is also another thing that happens in the movie Starship Troopers. Um, there's that great debate in the classroom about, you know, citizenship and what it means. And they're essentially saying, unless you serve in the military, you really can't even consider yourself a citizen, you know, because you don't really appreciate the rights that you have. So to me, you know, Verhoeven, I thought was, that movie's brilliant. I'm one of those folks who, who act, who enjoy both the book and the movie, but they're two different things. And yes, the movie Starship Troopers really fleshes out more um, than you see in the book because the book itself is very small. It's like a, it's almost a pamphlet when you think about it. It's uh, Rico, the character of Rico, going through boom, 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 boot camp. Mm-hmm. You, you don't even you, when you read the book, it ends right before he goes into his first mission. So, and that's it. I mean, and it's funny because the the movie and the book end the same way, the same line, same thing. Rico's roughnecks. Let's go, bum bum, and that's how it ends. So at least Verhoeven was faithful to that. 
but you don't have all these scenes where Rico is going through combat and doing all these things. So, you know, it's kind of like a, 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 a diary of a guy going through boot camp. Um, uh, yeah, by the way, a, a stupid fun fact about uh, Starship Troopers. So if you watch the movie uh, Black Hawk Down and actually read the, the book as well, uh, that's a, that's a, that actually really happened. So I don't think we can, uh, we, we can throw that in the, the book being you know the movie being better than the book or or anything but um in the uh, in the movie and the book they constantly reference the somalis calling them the skinnies and uh i think most people when they were watching the movie thought that that was a reference to the fact that there was a a famine going on in somalia and that's why we were there um that's actually not it's actually a reference to starship troopers because that's um they're they're uh, a race that's uh, aligned with the arachnids, the the skinnies. And when they when the army rangers came into Somalia, that's actually who they were reminded of. That's they the Somalis made them think of the skinnies from nah. Starship Troopers. So uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm telling you the the start. I I think a lot of times people focus too much on on the fact that it was Doogie Hauser, you know, right, and and a, and a whole bunch of uh, kids from Saved by the Bell and, you know, and all these other shows that were making their big screen debuts in a Paul Verhoeven movie. Um, Verhoeven says when we're fighting something, a, a thing that scares us, a greater evil, that we pretty much revert to fascism and totalitarianism. And you see, we've essentially become Nazis at the end. Right. And, and I don't think that's far off that, you know, like as soon as, um, you know, Anything happens, you know, 9-11, we had the Patriot Act, you know, it, it, it's not that far off. I mean, that tends to be how we react to things. Yeah. So um, uh, it's a case where, yeah, I mean, the took the book as a springboard and kind of took it to areas that I don't think even Heinlein um, considered. Yeah, probably, probably not. Um, you know, the, uh, the biggest disappointment of my life was reading uh, Red Alert, because that's the movie that Dr. Strangelove is based on, because I was expecting it to be Dr. Strangelove, the book. But actually, it's just a movie about, it's actually just a book about nuclear war, and so that's a bit of a downer. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cabotron.